You're listening to Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I am wonderful. What can I help you with? So I actually had a lot of questions um, about my gap year because I'm currently in my gap year. Um, uh, And it's mostly like I was in a stage of like a hiatus and um, I was wondering if this hiatus would negatively affect my medical application. So to go like into depth, so basically my story after I graduated in December of 2020, um, uh, I actually moved to Korea back with my family. And during that time, like I did some work as an English tutor. And after I did some work, I was like, okay, I'm going to go start like getting back into like MCAT studying and stuff like that. But in that process, actually my last living grandparent passed away from a stroke. And then this just completely destroyed me and my study momentum. And I just didn't want to do anything. Yeah. Like, from there on, I was like, I, I don't want to study. I don't want to do anything. I just want to be with my family yeah. back in Korea. I just want to be with my friends and just kind of like wind down a bit. And just maybe I'll like in a few months later, I'll start get batty, get back into study. Mm-hmm. But then eventually it didn't really happen because I moved back and forth from Korea to the States a couple of times, like two or three times in that span of a half, a year and a half. And then in that process, I also lost my aunt to COVID. And again, that feeling of like helplessness and not wanting to study came back to me. Yeah. And now I am here <laughs> and I did nothing to prepare for medical school during that time. Okay. And now that I'm going back into preparing for medical school and um, studying for the MCAT and doing like um, clinical, getting clinical experience and volunteering, I feel like that whole time is has been a bad time for my medical application and that it's going to negatively affect me. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if I like... Like I can, I like still want to be a doctor and I still want to do this whole process. I'm just not sure how I need to combat this and to get me to go moving forward into my process. Isn't it? So first off, I'm I'm sorry that you, you Mm -hmm. lost your last living grandparent and your, your aunt uh, dying with COVID and from COVID. Isn't it? like ridiculous the the pressures that we're putting on students to get into medical school that you living life going through a normal uh mourning period uh, mm-hmm. of losing two family members and you're like oh my gosh how's this going to affect my ability to get into medical school like mm-hmm. so i i understand that fear but i i think you'll be okay uh i i think you are allowed to be a human being. You are allowed to to mourn and process and and go through whatever you need to go through. And it's okay that you took some time off from quote unquote preparing for medical school and, and continuing to do these activities that are gonna show you want to be a physician. 
a lot of schools will ask on their secondaries, like if you've graduated, what have you been doing? And you'll put in there that you took some time uh, away to be with family and to, to care for yourself after losing two family members. And the far majority of schools are going to understand that. And the ones that don't understand that, you want to run far away from anyway. You don't, you don't want to go to that school because if something else happens and you lose another family member, just life happens, right? They're not going to be empathetic enough to go, hey, like, take care of yourself. We'll, we'll be here when you get back. They're going to they're going to want to go, well, sorry, you you can't mourn, you can't process, you have to be here and be a student and uh, you are not allowed to have a life outside of here. Yeah, it was just like a big worry for me because um, I just heard from like, since I was a pre-med and I had a bunch of pre-med friends, they all kept telling me like, you have to be doing something during your gap year. If you don't, that's, that's going to be like, they're going to look down upon it it's going to look like you're not trying. Yeah. And so that yeah. just like really scared me. Like, so And, and I say that, I say that as well. Mm-hmm. I, I say that you should keep a, keep your foot in the door in the medical world. It doesn't have to be your gap year. You can go explore and do things and right. It's, it's, it's never an either or and life happens sometimes and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. You didn't plan to not do anything. Mm-hmm. It just happened. Because you were taking care of yourself and, and being with family and friends and all of that stuff. That's okay. Yeah. And since then, it sounds like you've gotten back into the swing of things. You're you're getting clinical experience and shadowing and all this other stuff. And, and that's perfectly fine. There's no perfect way to do this. Yeah, that actually kind of um, gives me a lot of hope because I was like really worried about this and I didn't really have anyone to ask yeah. about like oh how are they going to see this like yeah. this hiatus like is it going to be bad on me and stuff like that but yeah. now that I see it I and hear your advice it's definitely giving me a lot of hope yeah, yeah. I, I think you should have a lot of hope and again as, as I mentioned earlier there may be some schools out there that don't like it mm-hmm. oh well you're not going to please everyone I think people will have some compassion and some empathy to your story and mm-hmm. will understand why you took some time off and there's some gaps in clinical experience and this and that. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly fine. Okay. All right. That sounds great. I actually do have a little bit of more questions. Yeah, I let's go. To ask. Um, like since I am like starting and like now um, with like clinical experience and taking my MCAT, mm-hmm. like if I were to apply next cycle, would it be okay to apply next cycle? Or do you think I need to build more upon my application, like get more volunteering and mm-hmm. shadowing and like, or maybe like pursue a postback or SMP um, and then apply? Or is it wise to apply like, the next cycle. Yeah. So, so for context for, for people watching or listening, next cycle is, is basically almost a year from now, a little less than a year from now as we're recording this. So, uh, assuming you are doing your clinical activities and, and other stuff, you'll have basically a year under your belt mm-hmm. when you apply and then anticipating out those hours as well mm-hmm. from when you to when you start medical school. I think that's plenty. 
I, I don't think I don't think there's any concern. We have to take another year to to continue to do it. I think COVID um, obviously has negatives, right? You lost your aunt to COVID. I lost my grandfather to COVID. Like there are there are bad things because of COVID. And the silver lining with COVID is that a lot of students didn't get clinical experience. They didn't get shadowing because of COVID, and they're trying to play catch up and 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 scramble to do these things. So I think a year under your belt is perfectly fine to do that. Now, the, the question of an SMP or a post-bac, I actually answered this recently, uh, again, as we're recording this on the pre-mid years, episode 491, I had a great conversation with a director of a post-bac program. And post-bac and SMPs are really just, do you need great repair? Or are you a career changer and you don't have any science classes? If your GPA is not good enough that it doesn't give medical schools the confidence that you are academically able to do well in medical school, then you need a post-bac or an SMP. But mm -hmm. if it's just lack of activities that you need, you don't need to go spend money on a post-bac or an SMP program. Mm -hmm. So if like my GPA isn't the greatest, but I can tell you it's not like the lowest. Okay. It's like in the <laughs> average to okay. lower. <laughs> okay. Any, um, any trends in there? Upward trend, downward trend? thing is there were a lot of upward and downward and upward and upward a roller coaster trend. yes basically yeah and so, so i'm like so you may work. need a post back uh-huh to show them that i can definitely yeah be competitive enough for medical school okay. correct yeah that okay. that potentially would be a good reason to a post back mm -hmm. without looking uh, really super in-depth at your grades right now as we're recording this if you haven't checked out uh mapped app yet you can go, uh, MapDap Pro lets you, you can enter all of your grades, all, all, all of your activities, all that stuff, and then chat with one of our mapped advisors and they mm -hmm. can give you some more detailed feedback. Okay, all right. Um, um, and I also was wondering, like since the COVID period, mm -hmm. there have been a lot of like online programs for postback and online programs, SMPs and um, stuff like that. And I was wondering if those are actually okay to apply to, or yeah. is, it, is it better to do it in person? Like would medical schools look down upon you applying for an online post back? I, I think historically the answer has been in person is better. Mm -hmm. uh, I would probably say still in person is probably the safest bet, not necessarily better, but the safest bet that will be accepted at the majority of schools. Mm -hmm. And COVID happened, right? Medical yeah. schools taught their students online. So it would be very hypocritical for a medical school to go, we're not going to accept an online postback program. We're not going to accept an online SMP. They are not good enough. I'm like, mm, didn't you teach your medical students online for a semester or two? So it, it would be very hypocritical. And Humans being humans, they're going to have their biases. They're going to have their preferences. And so in-person is preferable mm -hmm. and probably safest. But mm -hmm. if an online program works the best for you, then it would probably be good enough at most schools. Okay. All right. That sounds great. And um, I have a lot of questions. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Let's keep going. <laughs> yeah, but um, just it's just nice having like someone to answer all these questions and to get a solid answer instead of just being oh who can i ask like i don't have an advisor yeah. now that i'm happier and there's so, no one who's gonna help me yeah so again one of the benefits of of uh, a little a little plug here for mapped app pro 
is uh, through the application. So it's a web-based application. You can chat with one of our, ad- our, our advisors and it's 10 bucks mm-hmm. a month. So it's, it's mm-hmm. super cheap. Yeah, it is super cheap. Dang, I might, I might look into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, um, so I have like two more questions. Yeah, let's go. Um, so the second to last question is, now that I am getting back um, into like, ex- doing shadowing and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm actually in the States right now, but I'm going to Korea in a month. And um, since I'm getting a lot of my shadowing experience out of country in Korea, um, I don't know how like American medical schools will look up, look at that. Yeah, I'm like, I think that they might want more shadowing experiences in America instead of Korea. Yeah. And yeah. But the thing is like, I do also want if there's ever a possibility to work in Korea, if that's the chance too. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering how like you thought about this and if it is like, if I should actually reach out and go do more American um, shadowing at some hospitals. Yeah. So, so U S shadowing, I think is preferred. It's, it's the okay. ideal because the whole point of shadowing is to understand the day in the life of a doctor mm-hmm. And while doctoring and taking care of patients is going to be very, very similar, mm-hmm. what you are not seeing in Korea is the the complicated U.S. healthcare system yeah. and the day-to-day struggles that physicians mm-hmm. have taking care of patients because of our broken healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's an important part of this process is making sure that you understand that you know what you're getting yourself into. Okay, that sounds good. All right. And then my last question. Um, This has actually been like a huge worry for me too, which was about professor recommendation Mm -hmm. letters. Um, So I always, I was always wondering like people who apply cycle after cycle after cycle, like how did they get their letter of recommendations? Like did they ask the same professor or was it more like they asked different professors and like, because I'm afraid that some professors might like reject your requests after asking so many times. Yeah. And so um, what was like, like the process of other students that you've seen? <laughs> so typically you're not getting a new letter, right? It's so, so when you go back to the same professor for a letter, because you're applying again, you're going number one with the confidence that they wrote you a strong letter in the first place. If there's any doubt that that person wrote you a strong letter, then I wouldn't ask them again the next cycle. So best case scenario is you are confident that that person wrote you a strong letter of recommendation. You've stayed in contact with that person over the application cycle and you reach back out to them and say, hey, Professor Smith, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't get in this cycle. Can you resubmit your letter with just an updated date on it? And, and they may want more information from you. You may want to give them more information about what you've been up to over the, the last year or so. So you can, you can do that. So you're not typically having them write new letters every time. That would be a lot of extra work for them. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The, the biggest thing is if you're not getting in, as you mentioned, right, cycle after cycle after cycle, mm-hmm. one of the things to potentially look at is do I need new letter writers? Uh, is there an issue with my letters that is potentially mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I'm not getting in? Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, in addition to that question, like 
my university, a lot of my professors have very strict requirements to get um, letter of recommendations. And like I um, was planning on applying to postback, but it didn't happen. And I was actually like um, reaching out to a lot of professors that I have uh, been in contact, that I have been to their office hours and I did fairly good in their classes but I was not able to acquire a letter of recommendation from them because of their strict requirement and their cutoff line. Like you had to have 95 or above to get a letter, letter of recommendation. And like, it's like, I feel like if I'm going to apply for medical school, I feel like I'm not even going to be able to get two letter of recommendation letters because of that requirement. And that's the biggest worry for me too. So I'm not, I'm not really sure what to do at this point. Yeah, I I am very open about my my thoughts about restricting letters, uh, whether it's a committee letter or, or apparently individual letters from professors. I I think it's completely irresponsible of of those professors to have cutoffs like that for a letter, especially if you know them well. I think they're trying to protect their workload and go oh, only only people with 95 and they know based on their uh, their scoring that not many students are going to be able to get that. And so they don't have to do as much work, uh, I, I think, is ridiculous. Um, letters are not Sally got a 95 in my class and therefore I recommend her. Letters are I know Sally very well and this is the type of person she is and this is the type of doctor I think she will be and I highly recommend her. The medical schools know the grade. They'll they'll see the A, the B, the C, whatever. Uh, even, even students who get C's in some classes have amazing letters of recommendations from that professor because they were able to work with that professor a ton and, and maybe they just, they failed their midterm for extenuating circumstances, but they, they work their butt off and were always in office hours and helping other students and all this stuff. And so I think it's completely ridiculous that these professors have these cutoffs, but it is what it is. So I, I think at the end of the day, you can only do what you can do and just figure it out. Mm-hmm. And and be um, and, open. If you're applying to postback programs that want letters, just just be open with them, saying, "Hey, like this professor requires a 95 to to get a letter, and so I I can't get these letters that you want. What do I do?" Um, and um, was one more question. I forgot. Okay. Yeah, I forgot what I was gonna say. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I remember now. Um, then if I were to ask like other people like that I've shadowed or I actually did some scribing work from um, like a different company. If I were to ask recommendation letters from these people, would, mm-hmm. would it actually be okay or would it replace those it de- letters? It depends on the school. Yeah. Every school is going to have what they require. They'll have what they will allow in, in replacement of their required letters. So it's just going to depend on the school. Mm-hmm. So I'll just have to reach out to the school. Unfortunately. Yeah. Go to go to the website, see if they talk about it anywhere. I, I know Sam Houston State, uh, is very specifically because I, I saw this recently, they mm-hmm. they have a thing for their letters of recommendations that says if you've if you've been out of college for more than a year, then they allow um, other types of letters. So it's just going to depend on the school. Oh, okay, I see, and that's my first time hearing that too. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. 
was all my questions you yeah. asked. Yeah. So, so the big thing for you is going to be MCAT prep. Um, our, our sponsor here at Ask Dr. Gray, Blueprint MCAT. Go check them out. Go create a free account. You get access to flashcards, to a study planner tool, to full length one and a half length diagnostic. So go check them out. All right. People definitely will. All okay. right. Yeah. Good luck. Thank you so much. And I definitely like really value your second opinion and it's helping me a lot through this process and giving me a lot of hope. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here on Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Did you know that we record these live on Facebook at 3 p.m. Eastern on most weekdays? Search for Medical School HQ on Facebook and like the page to be notified. Don't forget to check out our amazing Facebook group, The Hangout, at medicalschoolhq.net slash group. 